we're in part three of our series called Hope. And so grab out your Bible and your notebooks. I see some of you already doing it because you know the routine, all right? We take notes here at Victory. We love to take notes. I'm going to say it till you believe it. We love to take notes because we jot down some things that God speaks to us. We jot down some things in the worship service, things that he speaks to us, and we reference those on our spiritual journey. If you want what I want you to write down, you can pull up the Victory Church app. There's a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes there. It has all of the scriptures and references and things uh, that we're going to talk about This morning, but what do you do in the middle of a storm? What do you do when life around you begins to not look like what you believe in your heart? What do you do when you're caught in the middle of something that you're not able to overcome? What do you do when it feels like you've been abandoned? What do you do when life gets dark and when life gets hopeless? Because we talked about this the last couple of weeks, we talked about how very quickly there's this threat or or there's this, this threat of hopelessness that begins to rise in our culture when we pass through storms. And it's something we see culture-wide, but it's also something we see sometimes in our own lives, in our own personal, spiritual walk. When we begin to pass through storms, we begin to see how the waves grow in intensity. We begin to see how the darkness grows so quickly, and we become hopeless. And so we've been having a conversation about hope. We have our series, Hope the Anchor for the Soul. I have my mini anchor here, right, the 10-pound anchor that's going to hold us firm and secure. But we've been talking about hope. And so I want to read our theme verse. It's out of Hebrews chapter 6. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope. Here's the reality. Storms of life and the darkness that we go through gets very dark and very frustrating very quickly. Oftentimes the things we walk through, they ramp up in intensity. And when you have wave after wave and you have things that happen, sometimes one wave doesn't knock us off course, but sometimes we pass through waters that hit us again and again and again. And when that intensity grows... Oftentimes the threat or oftentimes the thing we default to is to be knocked off course. The Bible talks about this. If we don't have an anchor of the soul, we don't have a biblical hope that holds us firm and secure. It's hard to trust God sometimes in that. If we don't have that biblical hope, we don't have that anchor. It's hard to trust in God when we feel abandoned to the storm. And so we've been talking about the book of Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. If I have to say it, you have to say it. All right. I've got good news for you today. Today we're not in Habakkuk chapter 1. We're not in Habakkuk chapter 2. Where are we? Come on, somebody. We're in Habakkuk chapter 3 for all of those awake today. We're in chapter 3. And if you've been following along with us, you're probably expecting something good in chapter 3. Let's talk about Habakkuk if you haven't heard the messages the last couple of weeks. Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament who prophesied and wrote 600 years before the birth of Christ. And so 2,600 years ago, Habakkuk was prophesying and writing and receiving words from God. And Habakkuk did ministry a little bit differently than other prophets. What do prophets do? They hear from God and then they speak to the people, right? This is what God says to you, the people. If you've been keeping track, that's where I keep the people, all right, everybody? But Habakkuk was different. Habakkuk went to God on behalf of the people. Habakkuk would hear from the people and what they were doing, what he was asking in his own heart. And then he would go to God on behalf of the people. And what Habakkuk would say to God was raw. It was real. It's full of emotion. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he would go to God and essentially he would say, God, I don't like what you're doing. I wish you would do something different. God, I don't like what I'm seeing. I wish you would do something else. God, why don't you seem fair? Chapter 1 of the book of Habakkuk is all about wondering. It's all about wondering, God, why are you doing what you're doing? Habakkuk finds himself wondering why what I see with my eyes is not what I believe with my heart. Why am I not seeing what I believe? Why is it so often we can believe God to do some things in our lives, but we're not seeing those things come to pass? And so he's wondering. Chapter 2 is all about 
waiting. If chapter 1 is, God, why don't you seem fair? Chapter 2 is, God, why, why am I not seeing what you've said? If I don't think you're fair in chapter 1, at least in chapter 2, why am I waiting on the promises to come? And God speaks to Habakkuk and he says, Habakkuk, I am going to move. I am going to do something incredible. I'm going to do something that you would not even believe if I told you, Habakkuk. If I just, it, it would blow your mind if I even told you what I'm about to do. Now, if I'm Habakkuk, I'm thinking, finally, God hears my prayers. Finally, God is going to do what I want him to do. And God says, no, no, I'm going to raise up your enemies, the Babylonians, the people who are worse than you, Habakkuk. Actually, I'm going to raise them up, the ones who are living worse than you, the ones who are worse than you in every way, and they're going to destroy you. And so if I'm Habakkuk, I'm thinking, okay, God, I was confused, and now I am more confused. I, I, I was wondering, and I was th- questioning, and, I, and now I am doing it even more. I don't understand what's going on. And so in chapter 2, he's waiting because he's saying, well, God, there were good promises, right? People of God, we're the chosen ones. We're supposed to be this and that. There were good promises. When are those going to come to pass? Because I, I know who you are, God, so I, I'm asking, when, when are those going to come to pass? So in chapter 2, he's waiting. God, when are you going to hear my prayer? The verse says in chapter 2, though it lingers Wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. And when it's God's time, he can't stop it. Chapter 2 is all about waiting. Chapter 3, there seems to be a change in tone. There seems to be this this change in tone because if you've read chapter 1 and chapter 2, all of it, all the way to this point, all the way to the last verse of chapter 2, you see this angst, this agony, this kind of disappointment, this wondering, why God aren't you doing what I want you to do? And some of you feel that way in your life right now. Some of you have found yourself in chapter 1 or in chapter 2 and you've read through those chapters and you see yourself reflected in Habakkuk's prayer. And last week we read half of the last verse of chapter 2 because in the very last verse Habakkuk is saying, I'm confused, I'm wondering, I'm doubting. I'm at this place where I'm wondering and I'm waiting and I'm doubting and I'm praying this prayer but I'm not seeing an answer. And we read the first half and I want to show you the end of chapter 2 now. So he's saying, I'm wondering and I'm waiting. And then he says, but yet... In chapter 2, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He's saying, yet I'm wondering and I don't see what I want to see, but God is still in his temple. God is still on the throne. I know my God is still in charge. And he says, even though chapter 1 and chapter 2 have been full of these things that I'm crying out to him, I know he's still in charge. Let all the earth be silent before him. And this kind of echoes that thought out of Psalms where it says, sometimes you have to just be still and know that he is God. And I want to add to the end of that, that he is God and I am not. And sometimes you have to be still. He's saying, let all the earth be still before him. He's saying, I'm hurting. I'm confused. I don't understand, but I know that my God still sits on his throne. I know that my God is still in charge of it all. And you see Habakkuk begin to realize this. And then chapter three is almost like a reset. And as we get into chapter three, think of it, you hear the tone change in verse one out of chapter three. It would be a verse that normally we would just kind of skip on by. We would just, as we were reading, we just kind of just go on to verse 2. But there's a word in chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 3 that I want to draw your attention to. So watch it here. We're going to read this in, verse, in, chapter, one, in chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. If I didn't put that, that's mine. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shijanoth. Everybody say Shijanoth. Come on, somebody. Come on again. If I have to say Habakkuk and Shijanoth, you have to say it at least once. All right. Everybody say Shijanoth. You did not just curse in church, all right? About set your mind at ease, all right? This is, this is Shishinoth. You say, well, what in the world is Shishinoth? Shishinoth is the plural of the word Shishin, all right, everybody? So now that we've cleared that up, we could continue with the rest of the sermon. Shishin is only found one place in the Bible, and that's in Psalms, Psalms chapter 7. 
Only one place in the Bible, and only one place in the Bible do you find the word shishinoth, and that's in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 1. And we don't know a lot about these words, but we do know that they're directions on how to sing a song or a psalm. They're directions to a congregation of people on how to sing a song. For example, I might say in this next worship song, I want you to sing it with all your heart. I just want you to cry out and sing this song. Or if we're at a concert and they're saying, we're going to sing this with hip-hop passion. Or we're going to do this. Or we're at a wedding, two hops this time. Come on, somebody. It's, it's directions on how to sing a song. It's directions on how to perform or how to do a certain piece of music or a psalm. It's directions. So shizhanoth, let me tell you what it means. Shizhanoth means to sing with strong emotion. It says with impassioned exuberance. It means wild, passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. It means high-spirited praise, vigorous enthusiasm. We're in chapter 3. He's gone through chapter 1 and chapter 2. And Habakkuk, you all know Habakkuk by this point. We're friends with Habakkuk. Chapter 3, he starts it off, this song of Habakkuk, this prophecy that he's going to give, this, this thing he's going to say according to Shizhanov. That this is what he's about to do. One article I read of the word, it said it's not a whiny, crying your drink type of ballad. Come on, somebody. I like that, right? Shizhanov, if you're in the mood to cry in your drink to a country song, this is not, my friends, Shizhanov. This is not Shizunov. One article said, I quote, it is praise punctuated with exclamation marks. It is praise punctuated with exclamation marks. A whole lot of you, when you text, right, you know the power of the exclamation mark. A lot of you, when you send a text to somebody or they send one to you and you, you see how many exclamation marks they put about something. If you don't match how many exclamation marks they put about something, you are not as excited about that something as they are, Right. Come on, husbands, everybody, every husband in the room. If your wife sends you something, you have to count how many exclamation marks. Because if you just send by, okay, or yes, and you don't match how many, I don't care where you guys are. This is, I don't care how real you want to be today. I'll get into trouble if I need to. If you don't match their enthusiasm, Shizhanov is praise with exclamation marks. If it's 25 of them, we're going to put 25 of them on Shizhanov. What I want you to understand about Habakkuk in chapter 3, as we read through chapter 3. As you see this shift in tone, as we read through this, he is doing this full body, all in exuberant worship to God. And he's doing this type of worship before God, before God ever does what he wants him to do. Did you catch that? He's doing this, this Shizhanoth. We haven't seen any turn. We've seen chapter one and we've seen chapter two. He's now beginning this praise, this Shizhanoth praise. He's beginning this exuberance with exclamation points before he ever sees God do what he wants him to do. In fact, some of the most impassionate praise that you will ever see comes before the provision. It comes before God ever does what we want him to do. When God is still on his throne, authentic praise is praise that's simply based on faith. Simply based on faith. This is praise not for the what. This is praise for the who. This is not praise for God what you are doing. This isn't praise for God what's happening in my life. This isn't praise based on the circumstances. This is praise based on God who you are. This is Shizhanov praise. It's not for what I think you're going to do. It's not for what I think is going to happen. It's not for even what I want to happen. This is praise God for who you are. It's Shizhanoth praise before anything happens. Verse 2, we see Habakkuk say this of God. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Everybody say, repeat them. Repeat after me. Repeat them. Come on, somebody. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known in wrath. I know we're going to be judged, God. I know this all is coming. Remember mercy. In all of this judgment and all the things, remember mercy. And he says, God, repeat them. God, do it again. God, I know you've done it before and I'm still praising you in the middle of whatever this is that I'm in. 
And then he begins to praise the things that God did. He says, repeat them again. I love that worship song that we sing that says, right, I've seen you move. You move the mountains. Now, I believe that you can do it again. You made a way when there was no way, and I believe that you can do it again. God, I've seen you work. I know you can, God, and I'm praising you, not even for what's going on around me, but just who you are. What do you do when life gets difficult? What do you do when storms of life? It's what our whole series has been about. I want to teach you two things today that Habakkuk begins to do in chapter 3. Two things that we do in our life. One, we're going to remember God's goodness, God's faithfulness, and then we're going to embrace We're going to remember and then we're going to embrace. We're going to remember, God, thank you how amazing you are. God, I want to remember what you do. Because in the first week we talked about this, what happens sometimes when life gets difficult. Because oftentimes we see this pattern. Oftentimes in our life we come across a mountaintop in God. It might have been when you got saved. It might be another chance. But we're on this mountaintop with God, right? And everything is great. The birds are singing. God, you are amazing. God, I love you. God, everything's going right. God, you're answering all my prayers. God, everything is going the way I think it should be. We're on the mountaintop. And then something bad happens. You lose your job or you get a report that you don't deserve. You pray for something and what you prayed for doesn't happen. You find yourself waiting for something. You find yourself asking God for something that you feel he should give you, but he doesn't. We're no longer on the mountaintop and we find ourselves slowly descending into the valley. We find ourselves going into the valley and you experience oftentimes what's called a crisis of belief. Where you come to that moment where you say, well, God isn't doing what I want him to do. And oftentimes people have two responses to that crisis. Oftentimes people will just pretend like it's not happening. Uh, This isn't happening. I'm just going to go back to my blissful time with God. I'm just none of this is happening. And oftentimes people walk away. Well, they say, well, God, if you're not answering my prayers, then I'm just not going to believe in you. I'm just going to forget all of that. I tried that, but God just didn't do what I wanted him to do. What do you do when what you see with your eyes is different than what you believe in your heart? When you find yourself crying out in the valley. When you're crying out for a prayer or you're crying out, God, answer me. God, hear my cry. God, hear me. What do you do when you believe in him to bring blessing or provision or healing and it doesn't happen the way that you want it to happen? We're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about remembering and embracing. Remembering and embracing. Number one, we're going to remember. Verse 3 says this in Habakkuk. He said, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, and His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. Now, if you read this verse, you'd say, well, those places don't mean anything to me. There's not anything. I'm just going to, again, skip on to the next verse. But to Habakkuk, these would have been very meaningful places. This Paran and this, this Mount Paran and Mount Timon. These would have been meaningful places to Habakkuk because these were the places that God brought his people. After he brought them out of bondage, these are the places of refuge that God brought his people. And so Habakkuk is singing this. He's saying, God, I'm remembering where we didn't think that we would ever be out of bondage. I'm remembering in the history of our people when we never thought that we would escape from Egypt. I'm remembering when you brought us out, God. I'm remembering when you changed Pharaoh's heart and you brought us into the mountains. God, I remember you brought us into the wilderness. You you moved the heart of Pharaoh. You split the Red Sea. You destroyed the invaders that were coming after us. I remember, God. Habakkuk is crying out, I remember when you were faithful. I remember your goodness, God, and I know that you can do it again. And then in verse 4, 5, and 6, Habakkuk says this of God. He begins to remember. He says, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and he shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The crumble, the age-old hills collapse, and he marches on forever. He begins to cry out this praise for God. He says, God, I remember your power. I remember your presence, God. I remember how you moved, God. I remember who you are. 
I remember the things you did for us, God, when you were glorified through those things. And if you read forward in verses 7 through 15, it continues to be what Habakkuk does. God, you marched out and you brought salvation to your people. God, you brought out in power and splendor. God, you moved the nations and you shook the mountains. God, I remember. I remember what you did. And you could say that Habakkuk, you see this in all the Old Testament, the men and the women of God, when they begin to cry out, and even in the New Testament, begin to remember the goodness of God. Some of us, we need to begin to do that in our own prayer lives. And Habakkuk could have chosen from so many things, and you see it in other places in the Bible where they cry out, God, we remember when you shut the mouth of the lions. And Daniel was in the lion's den. God, we remember when you brought the three Hebrew children through the fiery furnace. We remember when they weren't burned. We remember your faithfulness. We remember your goodness. What do you do when you're in the storm? We remember. When you're praying, and it's a Shizunoth type of prayer, before you ever see what God is going to do, before you ever cry out for that, but we're going to remember what he's done. I remember, God, when you breathed on the dry bones and you brought them to life. I remember, God, when you spoke to us. When you're in the valley, you simply have to remember the goodness of God. You have to call it to mind. You have to call out the goodness of God. I remember when we stood on this campus and it was completely underwater. I remember when we thought there's no way we're coming back from this. There's no way we're going to have a church here ever again. And then I remember how God sent people and provision and God sent miracles to help us. And God sent, we remember the goodness of God. And even months after we had started the rebuild, we stood in here and thought there's no way we'll finish the sanctuary in time. And God sent 30 angels from Hudson, New York. Come on, somebody who came and laid our carpet and painted and finished out the work. I remember the goodness of God. When I'm in the valley, when I see something that I think I can't overcome, when I can't even remember what the mountaintop was like, I remember the goodness of God. I remember the goodness. You have to go back through your life and say, I've seen the faithfulness of God. And Habakkuk begins to do this in chapter 3. The second thing that we do, and let me tell you what you don't do here at the second thing, all right? Here's what you don't do. The second thing is we don't just endure, all right? I think a lot of people will misinterpret that and say, well, you just have to endure whatever comes. What is enduring? Enduring is a passive kind of response to what is happening to you. Enduring is this passive kind of, well, it's happening to me, so it might as well just happen. That's what enduring is. That's not what we're called to do. When we're in the valley, we embrace When we're in the valley, when we've come off the mountain now and something has hit us broadside and we think we're being tossed in the waves, we begin to remember the goodness of God and then we begin to embrace who we know God is. We begin to embrace. It's what Habakkuk is doing in the situation. Habakkuk feels like the Babylonians are winning, and they are. He feels like they're getting ahead, and they are. He looks and he recognizes this is a bad situation. He's not blind to the fact. He's not just letting it happen to him. He recognizes this is a bad situation, and it's about to get worse. Habakkuk is not some just, you know, kind of airy-headed guy. He understands what God has said to him. He understands God has told him, I'm about to bring judgment. He understands God has told him things are about to get worse. He understands, I've just received this prophecy. That there's judgment and people I love are about to get judged. And there's about to be happening things to us that I don't want to happen. He understands that that happens, but he's saying at the end of chapter 2, but I know my God is still on the throne. I know my God is still in charge. I know the God that I serve. And so he starts chapter 3 with Shishinath praise. He starts chapter 3 with this praise. What I love about this, this is not a state of denial. This isn't a pretend like it's not true. This is looking the truth in the face and saying, I know it's not good. I know that this is something that's not enjoyable. I know that this is something that is bad. I know that it's happening, but I know my God still sits on the throne. And I know that he's standing. This is what Habakkuk does. Watch this in chapter 3. Chapter 1 is wondering. Chapter 2 is waiting. Chapter 3, watch as he embraces. Verse 16. 
Watch as he begins to embrace. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. Time out right there. All right. This is not you're back in college and the good looking guy or good looking girl walks into the room and your heart pounds. All right, everybody. This is the bad kind. This is I am scared to death and my heart pounded. Just wanted to clear that up for you. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Habakkuk is saying, I am scared to death. God told me he's going to raise up the Babylonians against the nation that I love. This is bad. And then he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on that nation that's invading us. So he's waiting still. He's saying the promises that God has. He said, I'm going to wait. He says, but it's bad and it's about to get worse. And I know I'm going to have to wait patiently because I'm not going to see it right now. It's about to get worse. And then watch this. He says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine. So the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there's no sheep in the pen and there's no cattle in the stalls. This is one of the most famous verses in Habakkuk. But now that you've seen the progression, you feel like Habakkuk is a friend. You feel what he's going through. You understand when he says this, though there is no no fig tree fruit, there is no cattle in the stalls, there's no sheep. Though everything is wrong. Though I don't see what I'm praying for. I don't see the, the, the progression. I don't see the prosperity of my people that I want. Since though all of this happens, you might say it this way, though I'm still praying and I'm not seeing an answer, though we're still believing to conceive, but we haven't conceived a child, though I'm still asking God for that healing or for that provision, though I'm still asking God to bring that thing into my life, though I don't see it, though we lost something that was valuable to us and we don't understand. You can see this with Habakkuk, that he's still crying out. And you begin to cry out that prayer in your own life. Though I've cried out and cried out for healing for my child and God isn't bringing it. I've cried out for these things that I need and they're not happening. Habakkuk says this. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Savior. There are dozens of reasons why I might not want to rejoice. There are so many reasons why I might not want to, but this isn't a half-hearted song that we're just lifting up to God. This is full-bodied, full-soul, shishinoth. This is praise before we see the provision. This is declaring the goodness and the glory of God. This is praise that comes before I see what I want to see. And I may never see what I want to see, but this is still praise anyways. This is Shijanath praise. What is Habakkuk doing? He's wrestling with what he doesn't understand, but he's embracing. He's still lifting up the praise. What does Habakkuk mean? It means to wrestle and to embrace. He's wrestling because he doesn't understand what's happening to himself and to his people, but he's still embracing. He's still singing and praising God for who he is. He's still lifting up the praise. This comes from the depths of his soul. This is a praise based on faith that worships when everything is not right. This is a faith that worships when everything is not going right. It's faith that gives praise to God when I don't see what I want to see. This is chapter 3, Shijanath. It's praise with exclamation points. I told you, this is not praise for the what. This is praise for the who. In chapter 3, we begin to shift what we think, our perspective. It's praise for the who. I don't understand, but I still embrace. I'm going to wrestle, but I still embrace. And I've been thinking for a couple of weeks about an analogy for this. And it's not perfect, but no analogy is. So take it as far as it will take you. But when my son Elijah, a couple of years ago, we took him in for his checkup and they found a growth on his finger that they had to remove. And it was nothing serious, but they just had to take it off. And so we had to, we had to schedule another time to go in and to have it removed. And so we scheduled that and I drew the short straw, so I had to take him. Come on, somebody. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, you're a better parent than I am. But I had to, to take him there. And so we, we showed up at the doctor's office and we start talking to him and he's explaining what's going to happen. And I'll never forget the doctor said, it's going to hurt a lot. So, Dad, we're going to need you to hold him. 
Now, I don't know why you say that in front of the five-year-old. I just don't understand the reason. Maybe they just didn't train him on that. But you just don't say that in front. So now this whole thing has changed, all right? And I remember my son Elijah was beginning to cry and say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Don't let them do this. Don't let them do this. And I don't understand how five-year-olds are as strong as they are. But I had to, like, bear hug him for this thing to happen. And my son is still crying out. And I remember this so clearly. He wraps the other arm around my neck. And he's crying and he's wrestling with me. But he's not letting go of my neck. Because he knows who I am. He doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't want whatever it is to happen. But he knows who I am. And so he's wrestling with me. But he's not letting go of my neck. And I as his father know it needs to happen. It breaks my heart. But I know it has to happen. And he doesn't know that. He doesn't understand. And so he wrestles, but he's not letting go. In chapter 1, you don't walk away from God. In chapter 2, you don't quit on God. In chapter 3, even if he doesn't change the circumstances, he changes our perspective. Even if he doesn't change the circumstances, he changes our perspective. Habakkuk doesn't resolve to make the most of a bad situation. It's so much deeper than that. He doesn't just say in his spirit, I'm just going to make the most of it. It's so much more. What he does, he looks truth in the face and he says, this isn't good. This isn't what I want to happen. He says, it's going to get worse. There's no grapes coming. There's no blossoms coming. There's only judgment coming. There's only judgment coming. But he says, the Lord is still in his temple and the Lord is still worthy of my praise. He's still worthy of my worship. And here's what I want you to see. God never does exactly what Habakkuk wants him to do. This isn't a sitcom series. There's never a moment in Habakkuk where we say, well, everything just turned out all right and everything was good and everything was grand. There's never an, okay, it's all better. That never happens. But I want you to see the very last verse of chapter 3. Very last verse of the book. What do you do when you're waiting? Verse 3 says this. It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. What do you do when you're wondering? What do you do when you're in the storm and you need the biblical anchor, the hope that we have? It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Even in the midst of the storm, even when I don't understand, I know where my strength comes from because I'm going to continue to praise. I'm going to continue to worship. I know where my strength comes from. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. We talked about this. What do you do when you're on the mountaintop and then in your valley? What do you do when you can't see outside of the place where you feel stuck? He says, he enables me to tread on the heights. He takes me to a new intimate place with him. He enables me to climb on top of whatever my circumstance is, whatever it is that I'm enduring, whatever it is. He gives me that anchor to the soul. He is my strength. He is the hope that I have. I don't have anything else in my own strength. I don't trust in men. I don't trust in any other prosperity or power or money. I don't trust in anything else. The Lord is my strength. And Habakkuk begins to say that. He closes the book with that. He says, I'm going to praise him for who he is. Even in the valley, I'm going to praise him for who he is. He begins to say, he says, it takes me to a new place. He begins, what do we know about God? We know that I love to experience him on the mountaintop. I love to experience him on the mountaintop. But I get to know his heart in the valley. I enjoy that, but I get to know his heart in the valley. I get to know who my God is. I'm going to praise him with everything inside of me. I love to praise him for the what? I love to brag about him on the mountain. But I get to know his heart in the valley. My faith is growing. And when you walk through the valley, when you walk in the storms of life, you begin to see what James talks about in James chapter 1. Where he says, I consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, 
when we go through trials, when we go through storms, when we go through things we don't understand, when we go through these things of life that come against us, I consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, because it develops inside of us perseverance. And perseverance has to finish its work. Perseverance has to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The Shijanoth praise of chapter 3, it doesn't come without chapter 1 wondering, without chapter 2 waiting. You don't get chapter 3 embracing without walking through those things. There is a perseverance that has grown inside of us that you cannot have any other way. I wish there were a different way. I don't understand it myself, but I say that when we go through those trials and those things, it develops inside of us something that makes us mature and complete, something that we need in our walk. That you can't have chapter 3 embracing without the wondering, without the waiting. Chapter 3, Shijanath, it comes in the midst of the valley. You don't learn it on the mountaintops, you learn it in the valley. And there's some of us here that we need to begin to praise God even when we don't see it. We need to begin to praise God even when we don't feel it. We praise Him for who He is. There's something God does in us. There's this faith that is born. There's a passion. What do you do when you're in the valley? You remember the goodness of God. Even if you don't understand. You wrestle. But you don't let go. Would you bow your heads with me today as we pray? Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. Lord, as we study Habakkuk 1 and 2 and 3, God, we begin to lift up this Shishanoth praise that says we praise you for who you are. Give us the strength, God, in the valley. Let us set our eyes upon you. Let us know that you are the strength to our lives. You are the peace that we hope for, God. You are the anchor to our souls. And even in the midst of the hardest storms of life, we have that anchor that holds us firm and secure. We begin to praise even in the midst of it. God, give us the faith to praise with Shishinoth praise, God, that we lift up even when we don't understand. Help us, Lord, in the midst of the valley. Help us to keep our eyes on you. And now there are some of you who are here today or you're watching online and you recognize you don't have what I'm talking about. You don't have that intimacy with God. You don't have that closeness with him. In fact, you feel like God is a million miles away from where you are right now. And I want you to know that you're here this morning. It's not by accident. Or you were scrolling through and you clicked on this video. It's not by accident. God is drawing you. And I don't know where you are in your life right now. You might be in a very low spot. You might feel like everything is crowding around you to drown you where you are. And you might feel like you have no anchor in your life. Nothing that holds you secure. And you want that. You want that in your life. A lot of you are waiting on something. But how about this? God is waiting on some of you. He's waiting on you to turn to him, to cry out to him, to accept his forgiveness and his embrace. To cry out, God, I need you. To cry out and accept Jesus at the Lord of your life. You say, well, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the son of God who lived a perfect life and then died on a cross for your sins and for mine. And then was raised from the dead that anyone Anyone, I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your life has looked like. Anyone, it means you, anyone can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. You can cry out. You can be saved today. You can call on the name of Jesus. He can change you. He can make you better than new. 
He still has a plan for your life. It's never too late to become who God has called you to be. So if that's you today, you want to make that decision. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I want to pray with you. If you say, that's me, I felt the drawing of God. I want you to know that you're right. God is drawing you. God does want you. If you cry out on the name of Jesus today, you can be saved. And so I want to pray with you. If you say, that's me, I want to make that decision. I want to give you the words to a prayer, but you have to say it and you have to mean it. I'm not going to make you come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want you just to be between you and Jesus. So come on, church, we're going to pray with them. No one prays alone. Just say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins, for all my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe what you did on the cross. And I believe that you were raised to life. And now I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church, can we put our hands together for what God has done today?